Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. The first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. She said she wanted her shot in the head. She was like graphic with it. She had details. This was a real payment she paid. I could see it was like fake something. I thought like, all right, we break up and this is no, no joke. But I'm thinking, all right, we break up, send someone to go scare them. All right, I'm scared, all right, go. No, she really paid real money and risked her job and her life. And I was kind of angry because it was just like, you threw your life away. I seen this girl struggle with study for tests. I was there, we ate campus food. I seen her be coherent. I seen her come from a good family, a, a mom that worked and that's crazy. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting here with Alexis Linkletter. She's wearing some old school vintage First Degree merch right now. You can't see it, but it looks good. It's all been wearing for the last several days. I know. We're really, we're really like leaning into First Degree merch territory. And if you guys ever wanted to get merch, we're having a big sale on our merch store. So you can get 20% off everything and uh, be twinsies with us, you know? It's really cute. I crop mine. I mean, there's a lot you can do with them. Oh, yeah. And I love them. I just wear them. It's my little uniform. I feel like the times are coming back that maybe, you know, cutting up your shirts might be popular again. You know, like back in the day, that's like all I used to do at Warped Tours, cut up people's shirts and like time in little braids. Like it might be time. It's going to happen. And you should do it with your first degree merch. Okay. So today is March 15th. Do you want to know the days today? Yes, but I can't believe it's that late in the year already. But yes. I know. I haven't done anything this year. Literally. It is everything you think is wrong day, which I think is pretty applicable to just everything in life. Definitely. It is international eat an animal for PETA day. I don't think Matt's going to like that one. No. (laughs) National egg cream day. An egg cream is pretty good. I think that's like one of those old milkshakey things with soda water in it. Oh, I think that's what an egg cream is. And it's also National Peanut Lover's Day. So if you love a peanut, just pop one of those right into your mouth and celebrate the day. Might as well. Might as well. All right. Well, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your anxiety. Because this could be you. In today's age of online shopping, instant gratification is more instantaneous than ever. And honestly, it's really nice. You need something, you buy it online and receive it neatly packaged only a few days later. Groceries, furniture, gifts, technology, and clothes, anything, you name it. And with a click of an add to cart button, you can have it. Any item in the world will arrive right at your doorstep for a price. So where does this convenience end? And what wouldn't you order online? If you could order love online, would you? How about happiness? How about revenge? 
If you could open a website, tap a few buttons, and make someone you hate disappear forever, would you be tempted? So we begin today's case on September 16th of 2006, and this is a massive, massive year for social media. And for myself, I was really blossoming because MySpace was the most visited website in the world, even over Google, which is a crazy fact. So crazy to think of. The number one most visited site was MySpace, and I was really in my prime in 2006 on MySpace. Also, in September, Facebook opened its doors to anybody over the age of 13 because before that, you had to be in college to join Facebook. And in theaters, people were watching the sequel for Pirates of the Caribbean and Pixar's Cars. And hits like Justin Timberlake's Sexy Back and Fergie's London Bridge played all over the radio. And a sad fact, on September 4th of 2006, Steve Irwin was killed by a stingray while filming a documentary on Australia's Great Barrier Reef. And the setting for today's case is Woodland Hills, California. So Woodland Hills is located 30 miles east of LA, and it's a wealthy suburb with a population of about 67,000 people. And for thousands of years, this area was home to many Native American people, including the Tongva and the Chumash tribes. And when Europeans arrived, they first named the city Woodland Hills Girard, because in 1922, Victor Girard Kleinberger bought the land. So that makes sense, I guess. Also, that does not roll off the tongue. Not at all. (laughs) Woodland Hills Gerard. (laughs) No, at all. And he also planted over 120,000 trees in the area to attract residents. So in 1941, they renamed the city Woodland Hills because of all the trees. So today, Woodland Hills is known for its upscale shopping and scenic hiking. And the Wildwood Regional Park, Topanga State Park, and Malibu Creek State Park are all just a short drive away. Our first degree for today's case is named Josh, and Josh is not from Woodland Hills, California. In fact, he's from the opposite side of the country, New York City. In the early 2000s, Josh was going to college on the East Coast, and that's where he met Marissa Mark at a party. And instantly, Josh could tell that Marissa was special. The girl was dating, her name is Marissa. I'm from New York, originally from the Bronx. She's from New York. We're both from New York. She's from Queens. I'm from the Bronx. I think it was like in New York City was at a party. She was actually just a little bit different. She was just really like introverted, quiet, you know, delicate, easy to talk to. And I just like that about she was a cool, calm spirit. And we got along, you know, like we got along. It was a good thing that I met her at the time where she was graduating through college. Josh was excited about meeting Marissa. She seemed amazing. And based on Marissa's past, she kind of was amazing. Marissa B. Mark was born on January 12, 1983, in Trinidad and Tobago. And for reference, Trinidad and Tobago is a dual island country in the Caribbean, just off the coast of Venezuela. In 1994, 11-year-old Marissa and her mom moved to New York City. And a few years later, Marissa became a permanent U.S. resident. And even though it must have been terrifying for Marissa to uproot her entire life and move across the world, she really flourished in the United States. Marissa was insanely smart, so she skipped a grade early on. Then she attended Brandeis High School on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And as a high school student, Marissa worked for an insurance company so she could save up money for college. And while juggling homework, friends, life, and her job, Marissa still managed to graduate high school in only three years. Yeah, that is very impressive. And in August of 2000, Marissa enrolled in the State University of New York at Albany. And she graduated with her bachelor's degree in finance and communications with a minor in business administration in 2004. And while Marissa was in college, she spent a lot of time in Allentown, Pennsylvania, since her mom lived there. And 
Also while she was in college, 20-year-old Marissa met our first degree, 22-year-old Josh, and their relationship was going really well. Josh admired Marissa's work ethic and small yet strong family. She came from a small family. She had her mom in the house, not her dad. And her mom was a hardworking lady. She was a nurse. That was the reason why she transitioned and got the property in Allentown while her daughter went to school. While I dated her daughter, it was really just us three. But Marissa, she was pretty just quiet. She was smart. She did liberal arts. I was in the dorm with her in Pennsylvania while she was in school until she graduated. She was in college. She was a junior doing her thing. So she would travel back and forth. We dated. We'll go out, normal stuff, movies, hang out, Valentine's Day. Here, I buy you something, she buy me something. It was normal. The thing is, I really liked about it that we were really calm, we got along. I lived with my grandmother at the time. So like me going back with her to her dorm was like a getaway for me. She's coherent, book smart, high GPA. Like Marissa, Josh also wanted the best for himself. And at the same time he was dating Marissa, Josh pursued his music career. He was a rapper and he finally got his lucky break. Def Jam Recordings wanted to give Josh a record deal, which is massive. And if you're not familiar, Def Jam was the hip-hop talent agency. They worked with people like Jay-Z, Rihanna, and Kanye West, honestly, the best of the best. And of course, Josh jumped at this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I was doing music at the time, being a rapper at the time, so I got a record deal with Def Jam. So that was the time of me struggling, putting together demos. I mean, I came with a fire burning desire to be successful from where I came from. So I was like really taking meetings at Def Jam, playing demos. Although Marissa was generally supportive, she was hesitant about Josh's newfound success. Josh's life was rapidly changing, and Marissa wanted a future with Josh. So when Josh moved to L.A. for his music career, Marissa's concerns were confirmed as their years-long relationship began to unravel. She was kind of supportive. The insecurity just came a little bit. Getting that record deal, getting in advance. My first stop was at Miami. Then next was L.A. And L.A. was when it changed everything. Once that deal came through with the music and the recording contract, it was just like, it ain't us no more. It's him. And it's like, damn, that changed. Once that hit, like, oh, this is it. I think she most likely felt left out that last day we left. It was like she lost her best friend. I looked in her eyes. Like, it was sad, you know? So that's kind of like the intricate part as well, because like we kind of grew together as when our future you thought would be staying the same with us together, but it didn't happen that way. When Josh moved to L.A., he enjoyed a little bit more of a lavish lifestyle, one that Marissa, now living in Allentown, Pennsylvania, full time, wasn't a part of. Josh was going to parties, he made all these friends, and he met other women. And sometime around the summer of 2006, Josh met Anne Lauren Royston, and she went by Lauren. It was honestly during the time, like, once I got that, like, kind of situation with the record label, and I got, like, you know, my first sort of advance. I don't come from, like, a privileged background, so this advance was kind of everything for me. So, like, this whole lifestyle and stuff was fun. Like, this is my first time driving Mercedes and VIP in the club and popping bottles and stuff. So once she kind of started to see that, I think she kind of thought that we're going to like be together, rise together, do everything together. But I kind of pulled away. I was in a studio a bit more. I'm not up in Allentown, PA, pretty much is more. So she went through my phone and we hit the rocks when she went through my phone, seeing other girls. Ironically, uh, Lauren at the time was the girl that I was dating in Cali that I just met. And she that's when it kind of hit the rocks. Lauren was a mortgage broker who worked in Woodland Hills, which, as you know, is pretty close to L.A. And immediately, Josh was drawn to Lauren. Just like Josh, she was in her early 20s, 
She was ambitious and she was successful. Lauren even helped Josh get into the real estate game. And over time, Josh realized he saw his future with Lauren, not Marissa. Lauren was a whole different situation, real quiet background, come from a bigger family, sisters, brothers, mom was a nurse, dad, hard worker. You know, she was successful, did mortgages. Ironically, she was a millionaire at 21. This is the time where the uh, mortgage industry was booming, you know, where you can do anything from a 550 credit score. They were putting everyone in homes before the whole market fluctuated. So that's when I came to meet her. She's like, why would you want to be a rapper? People were here, and I lived in the Valley at the time, so Calabasas, Woodland Hills, she's like, they have Lamborghinis more than rappers, and we're doing real estate. So that was a whole nother span, me learning real estate. But then once I was learning that lifestyle, coming back and forth, traveling, I broke it to Marissa that we wasn't going to be together. She saw that, and that's when it kind of like started a attention shift and an attitude problem. When we're speaking to Josh, he was pretty open about this rough transition that he had from ending his relationship, Marissa, to dating Lauren. There was probably some overlap between the two that could have been avoided, but you know what? That's what it's like to be young and in love and kind of in this long distance relationship sort of a situation. But ultimately, everything turned out just fine. Marissa moved on and she focused on her career. And a few months after her and Josh's breakup, Marissa earned her real estate license and started a new job in New York City. Exactly. They're all young. They can all just move on and find someone better for them, right? So this is what Josh and Lauren were doing. They were happy. They were living together in the Woodland Hills area and things were going great. And one day, Josh checked his phone and noticed he'd missed some notifications from Lauren. Actually, he'd missed a lot of attempts of Lauren to reach him. She'd texted him, she'd called, and she'd emailed him numerous times. And when Josh was finally able to return her calls, Lauren was frantic. It kind of just hit the fan fast. It was random. I was at Topanga Mall in the Valley, and then Lauren was at her brokerage firm, not too far away. And then I just, this how long ago, I got a call on my Blackberry, and it was just like, hey, he's trying to kill me. There's a guy in my office. Come. So what the hell is going on? Who would want to murder Lauren? Like, was it somebody from her past, a disgruntled client, an angry ex? Or most importantly, is Lauren going to be okay? Or is this threatening man still trying to kill her? There are so many questions. But to answer them all, you know the drill. we got to go back. So in this part of the story, we're taking you in a completely different direction. So brace yourselves. But we promise it does come full circle. So now we're introducing you to someone named Assam Ahmed Eid. So don't be shocked by this new name. But it's an important one, so definitely remember it. So Eid is actually this unexpected linchpin in our first degree Josh's story. So we're going to tell you a little bit about him. Eid was born in October of 1955 in Cairo, Egypt, into a respected middle-class family. His father was a civil servant, and some of his sisters were doctors and teachers. When Eid was younger, he was in the Egyptian army. And after that, he graduated from an Egyptian college with a degree in accountancy. By 1999, Eid had moved to the United States. He worked as a travel agent and lived in Michigan. There, the 44-year-old Eid met a 33-year-old named Lisa Carol Marcy. And Lisa fell in love with Eid quickly, which makes sense, because Eid was known to have this extraordinarily charming personality. Less than a year after meeting, Eid and Lisa got married. But according to Eid's friends, Eid's charming ways weren't going to stop just because he was married. And Eid cheated on Lisa constantly. 
It was a tough situation, but Ed and Lisa had two daughters, so Lisa put up with his affairs for the sake of her family. And in 2003, Ed became a poker dealer for a casino in Detroit, Michigan. And there, at that job at this casino, is where he met somebody else, a 40-year-old woman named Teresa Engel, another important name in the story. So Teresa was originally from Kentucky, and she was married, but she was in an unhappy marriage, according to her. Whenever Teresa went to the casino, she'd sit at Ede's poker table. And whenever Ede saw Teresa, he'd turn on that famous charm. And it didn't take long for Ede and Teresa to start a romantic relationship. And Ede and Teresa's relationship was toxic, even for an affair. They were on again, off again, like crazy. And after five months of secrecy, Teresa left her husband for Ede. But when Ede did not leave his wife for her, Teresa ended up moving out of the state. She went from Michigan to Ohio, where some of her family lived. But, you know, Ede is going to show interest in her again, so she ends up moving back to Michigan. Teresa traveled back and forth between Michigan and Ohio frequently as she figured out her future with Ede. Right. And meanwhile, Ede's friends reported that when he started dating Teresa, he actually changed for the worst. Ede stopped spending time with his kids. He bought a pricey yellow Corvette and began making reckless decisions that were very out of character for him. A new car, a new woman, reckless decisions, it kind of sounds like a typical midlife crisis, right? We've seen it a thousand times before. Except, one of Ede's reckless decisions was to hire an assassin to kill Teresa's husband. Okay, so listen, we are busy ladies over here on The First Degree, and when I have a moment of free time, I don't want to spend it grocery shopping. I want to spend it rotting on the couch and watching reality TV, and that is why I love Thrive Market. So Thrive Market is a go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to my doorstop is such a huge time saver. So Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They actually restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So you can go on their website and use their filters to suit any of your lifestyle needs. If you're allergic to a certain ingredient, if you just don't want to have it in your life, that's why Thrive Market is so awesome. So whether you're looking for organic snacks for your kids or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. I love this so much because I don't want to read every ingredient when I go to the grocery store. It's so easy to do it online, honestly, when I'm rotting on the couch. So join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash first for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash first. Thrivemarket.com slash first. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. No prepping, no cooking, or cleanup needed. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Get started today and get after your goals. Plus, Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. For me, I was really struggling to get enough protein. I always do. But Factor's meals are protein-packed, and they're so good. And it's so easy when I'm slammed busy working in the middle of the day to just have lunch right there, not needing to do anything, except heat it up. 
Head to factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 and use code DEGREE50 to get 50% off. That's code DEGREE50 at factormeals.com slash firstdegree50 to get 50% off. Ashraf Gardbea was an old friend of Eid's. The two men met in the 90s while working together at a store, and they bonded over their similarities. They both had daughters, had emigrated to the U.S., and shared an interest in travel. When Ashraf met Teresa, he assumed she was just another one of Eid's girlfriends. But when Eid called Ashraf and asked him to kill Teresa's husband, Ashraf became worried. In their 10 years of friendship, Ashraf never knew Eid to be a violent man. But at the last minute, Ede called off this assassination. And according to Ede, Teresa didn't want her husband dead anymore. This is kind of strange. I mean, the whole attempted assassination and then call it off thing, <laughs> it's very interesting. And it's also interesting to see what relationships can do to a person. You know, oh, if yeah. his friend is saying he's never been violent and then now he has this girlfriend yeah. and he's this different man, that's something. Yeah, it is so insane. A little bit of a red flag, I would say. Like, it's just such a crazy thing to just be like, "Mm, I think I'm going to want to do this thing and take this person off of this world and then realize that maybe that's not the best thing to do. Yeah, totally. And so Ashraf is friends with Eid, right? So he doesn't tell anyone about this almost assassination. I don't think he was going to do it anyway, right? So it's almost like this never happened, but it's showing you what state of mind Eid is in and sort of the kind of schemes he's coming up with, right? But nothing ever happened. Teresa's husband lived, so life proceeded as normal. So then in November of 2004, Eid decided to move from Detroit to Las Vegas, Nevada. And as a poker dealer, Sin City was where Eid's developing skills would truly be appreciated and be able to be put to good use. Initially, Eid's wife and their two daughters remained in Michigan. So Teresa, figuring Eid's family was gone for good, followed him to Las Vegas. And by the power vested in Las Vegas, Eid and Teresa were married on July 5th, 2005. But there was a problem. Eid was still very much married to his wife, Lisa. So this is legally messy, but not necessarily a moral problem. Because Eid, he was a Sunni Muslim. And he believed that polygamy was not only acceptable, but an honored tradition. So he was really leaning into that. But here's the catch. When Eid's family joined him in Las Vegas in November of 2005, Eid didn't tell Lisa, his first wife, that he now had a second wife, Teresa. Instead, Eid lied, and he told Lisa that Teresa was just one of his friends. At the same time, Teresa was furious that Eid's family had now joined them in Las Vegas. Does not sound great if you ask me. No. So once again, Teresa and Eid break up for like the millionth time, and then they get back together for the millionth time. And then Teresa moved in with Eid's family in their North Las Vegas home. Eid told Lisa that Teresa just needed a place to stay for a little while, except a while turned into a really, really long time. Neither Teresa nor Lisa were okay with this living situation. I wouldn't be either again. They're okay enough to allow it. I'm just like, I mean, how they're there. You, they're staying. How do you convince? I mean, this guy must be as charming as everyone's saying, because how would you get everyone on board with this? Exactly. And he even convinced them to join him in threesomes. Like the charm must be off the fucking charts. There must be something about this guy that I'm not seeing when no. I look at the pictures. But anyways, within a year of moving to Vegas, Eid got a job dealing poker at the Bellagio. Great hotel, been there a bunch of times, and this job apparently paid him really well. Although his hourly wage was just six fifty, 
He could make up to $100,000 a year with tips. But Eid, he spent money as fast as he made it. He had expensive taste and loved to gamble. And that's why Eid accepted a side gig of helping a high-rolling poker player with his collections. Basically, Eid was a hired muscle. So if someone owed the poker player money, Eid would ensure that they paid up. Eid intimidated the debtors with a stun gun and threatened them with violence or death. This experience kind of gave Eid an idea for a new business venture of his own. And we can kind of see the evolution of this idea. First with this assassination attempt of Teresa's husband, which he called off, and now learning to shake people down as a hired muscle. He came up with this brilliant idea. He was going to start a website and he was going to call it hitmanforhire.net. So, you know, this guy's an entrepreneur, so he hires a website designer to help make his hitmanforhire.net dream a reality. Because you got to remember, this is back in the day. Can't just get a Squarespace. You got to hire somebody to make your website nice Got to do some HTML coding. Literally. Yeah. So we have a picture of the website in front of us, a little screenshot. So it kind of has this black background with yellow text. And on the menu, you can click on home, how to order secure email, and employment. And the website designer later reported that he thought Eid's website was a joke. I mean, who is actually making a website like this for real? That's not on the dark web. And Eid had even written, this is a parody at the bottom of the homepage, probably to like get himself out of a situation if he got caught. If he ever found himself in one, right? <laughs> yeah. So not to mention, if you're looking at this website, it looks kind of campy. It's like got clip yeah. clip art images of gu- a gun and it looks sort of like mafia adjacent. It's interesting, right? And there's even a picture of a cartoon man in a suit aiming a gun like towards the screen, whoever would be looking at it. And this man looks similar to the main character of a popular early 2000s video game franchise called Hitman. You guessed it. One person actually stumbled across this website while looking for cheat codes for the video game. And even message boards thought that Eid's hitmanforhire.net website was a hilarious PR stunt designed by the Hitman video game creators. And we see like marketing campaigns like this oh, yeah. in contemporary times where it's a billboard and it directs you to a website and it's some kind of brilliant way to get people talking about whatever product you're launching. So that's what people thought it was in this context too. And the website's text kind of seemed like it was supposed to be funny and this parody that it seems to be. So this is an excerpt from the website. Hitman is the perfect solution for your killing needs. We offer a variety of professional assassination services available worldwide. Whether you are trying to put an end to a domestic dispute or eliminate your business competitors, we have a solution for you. We are a privately owned independent enterprise that specializes in reliable contract killings. We take our business very seriously and are the best at what we do. Assassinations are the most practical solutions to common problems. Thanks to the internet, ordering a hit has never been easier. Pretty shocking. Insane. I mean, that is like out of a movie. Like there's no real way that's real. And it's so interesting given the time. It's like Twitter just launched, MySpace. It's like the convenience of everything was coming on the internet. And I think it's fascinating that Eid's brain went here and decided to create this website, right? So despite every indication that the hitmanforhire.net website was a joke, it was not. 49-year-old Eid was serious. He wanted website visitors to hire Hitman with the intention of assassinating people. And so in April of 2005, 
Eads Hitman for Hire.net website went live. People from all over the world reached out to Hitman for Hire.net. There was a fifth grade girl from Kentucky who wanted another girl in her class dead, a suicidal woman who needed help taking her own life, and several spurned partners who wanted their ex lovers to suffer. Hitman for Hire.net, when you go on there, it was like a thing to where you can order a hit on a person. Like they'll take your information. And like, as I dove into it a little bit more, like, they did investigation. This guy was had, he had orders, you know, sad orders. You know, teenage girls wanted to kill their friend in school, like to see a college graduate go on a website and actually pay stolen money to do this, to not think twice. It's just crazy insane. I think this says so much about human nature, where it's like, if you give people, hey, no one will ever know, we'll handle this for you, you don't have to get your hands dirty. It's shocking that people actually want to do it. And if you can be separated from like the act of of having someone die, then it seems so easy. Like add to cart, add credit card, done. That's wild to me. Yeah, it is so crazy. And it's also, it really makes you think about how accessible everything is on the internet for children that shouldn't be using the internet. The fifth grader from Kentucky, like that's really scary. Like obviously nothing would ever, she couldn't pay the X amount of money that you're supposed to pay. But like the fact that pretty much anything that you could ever want is accessible if you find yourself on the right website is like pretty fucking terrifying. I just think it's one more, you know, shred of proof that like Lord of the Flies kind of primal instincts, like even children reach out to this website, you know, it just, it kind of blows my mind. And it's like every type of person too, you know, it's not just, I don't know how you'd think, you'd think it's like a scorned lover, I feel like would be like the main reason you'd hire a hitman or something like that. But there's just a million different reasons why somebody was contacting this website. So it's pretty insane. Seriously. So on hitmanforhire.net, under the employment tab, aspiring assassins could submit their resumes as well. So this is not like, not only can you order a hit, you can be the hit if you get accepted. Right. The website required applicants to have expertise in firearms, explosives, poisons, martial arts, or torture. One applicant under the pseudonym John Smith stated that he had extensive experience in poisoning people. So Ede, using his fake name of Tony Luciano, conversed with Smith through emails. Smith wrote, Tony, accidents happen to other people. They eat things that don't agree with them, and people die from food poisoning all the time. I didn't come to the dance to sit and watch, brother. I want to dance. What do you say? So in response to this, Ede offered Smith $10,000 to poison a target, but Smith thought that that price was way too low, and he was just like, screw you, and stopped communicating. Right. And 19-year-old private Brian Buckley, an Irish soldier, found hitmanforhire.net on accident during the summer of 2006. He'd been searching the web for information about the video game Hitman. And Brian thought the website was a prank and filled out the employment form for a laugh. He gave his phone number, his email, listed his military skills, and hit submit. But after several unsettling emails and late-night phone calls requesting that Brian commit to killing someone, Brian understandably became uneasy. And then, when military officials showed up at his house, Brian realized he'd made a dire mistake. From our research, it looks like Brian explained the situation to the appropriate officials and he just moved on with his life. But others continued contacting Eads Hitman for Hire website. 
And in early September of 2006, Eid received an email from Alejandra M. Vicencio. Alejandra wrote, I need someone by the name of Lauren Royston killed ASAP. She is located in Los Angeles, California. I want her done by a shot to the head. And thus, the stories from the top of the episode and the Eid storyline, they meet. It was Eid who was contacted by someone to go after Lauren Royston. So on Saturday, September 16th, 2006, Eid and his second wife, Teresa, arrived at Lauren Royston's mortgage office in Woodland Hills, California. And Lauren thought Eid and Teresa were potential clients who wanted to refinance their home. But as soon as Lauren closed the door to the conference room, Eid pulled out a black folder containing dozens of pictures of Lauren, as well as personal information. And that's when Eid explained his true intentions. Someone had hired him to kill her. And according to court documents, Eid calmly said, someone wants your head, somebody wants you killed, and they hate you a lot. He pretended to be a buyer because she did mortgages. So he did like the fake application process. She's thinking that she's going to get a deal, like a loan and a potential client. And as he gets into the office, he brandished a weapon and said, you know, I'm, I'm this hitman. She showed her the pictures at the time. It was MySpace. So he showed her 47 pictures of her on MySpace. But according to Ede, he just couldn't go through with the hit. Apparently, Lauren reminded Ede so much of his own daughter that he couldn't bear to pull the trigger. But still, Ede needed to get paid for his time, so he offered Lauren a deal. Since Alejandra, the person who wanted Lauren dead, already paid Ede $17,000 of his $37,000 fee, Lauren could just pay him the remaining $20,000. And then Ede would kill Alejandra instead, and Lauren would just go free. So, obviously, Lauren is freaked out out. Who is this mysterious Alejandra and why would she want Lauren dead? Turns out Alejandra was an alias for 23-year-old Marissa Mark. That's when he explains to her, this girl named Marissa Mark, you know, put a hit out. He said, yo, I can't do it, you know, because you remind me of my daughter. And that's the reason he said that he'll cancel the hit if we pay the my remaining balance and he'll reverse it on Marissa because he won't go through it because she reminds him of his daughter. A month before the strange encounter, Marissa had discovered that Josh had left her for Lauren. Marissa had suspected Josh and Lauren were involved even before their breakup. And when Marissa's suspicions were confirmed, she was completely heartbroken. So on September 10th of 2006, Marissa contacted hitmanforhire.net. And over the course of five days, Marissa exchanged about 20 emails with Eid to organize Lauren's assassination. And when Eid requested a down payment of $17,000, Marissa panicked. She didn't have that kind of money, but she did have access to people's financial information through her job. So Marissa paid Eid the $17,000 through three stolen PayPal accounts she had access to. Fortunately, PayPal flagged the transactions as suspicious, so the money never actually went through. But money or not, Eid continued the assassination attempt because he wanted to get paid. Eid would agree to assassinate people for money, and then he would find the victims and extort them into paying even more money using the same, if you want to live, pay me off kind of spiel. Eid gained money from two sources, one of which was pretty secure. 
And what was somebody hiring a hitman actually going to tell the police anyway? You know, like I hired an assassin and he stole my money. So it's unclear how many times Eid successfully ran this scam. Right. And something that's very mysterious and remains murky is what Eid's intentions were when it actually came to ending people's lives and killing people. How willing and prepared was he to do that? When you explain it like Hitman, not doing an assistant, this, this, that, and then now we want money. The only equation is this dude is just trying to scam you for some money. It sounds like he's kind of like doing some sort of Ponzi scheme type of thing through a website, taking the cash. Pretty much is like, you know, asking for these lump sums of money. Again, I'm like, I'm from the Bronx. I'm doing music. I'm not coming from as much. So obviously this is traumatizing for Lauren. It's upsetting that a woman she'd never met wanted her dead. And now Lauren's would-be killer was trying to blackmail her for $20,000 in exchange for keeping Lauren alive. So in Lauren's office, Eid told her that he'll return later that day to collect the money. So just before he left, Eid then hugged Lauren, which is so... So weird. Weird and bizarre given the threats and the extortion that was going on and also saying that she looks like his daughter. So this is when, you know, Lauren calls her boyfriend, Josh, our first degree, and he rushes to Lauren's office to try to help give her some support and figure out what the hell is going on. He also reached out to Marissa to see what the heck she was thinking and what she would say. Well, I go meet Lauren. Really, she's at a job. She's frantic with her best friend, holding her, consoling her. They're telling me the situation like, oh, my God, she's trying to kill me. I'm going to die. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. At the time I pick up my phone, I call Marissa. And I'm like, this sounds a little bit like too close to contact. And how I knew it was hers, Marissa answered with the, huh, what you mean? No, huh? Like, obviously, yeah. And I'm talking to Marissa via text message. I'm like, you got something to do with this. You're going to get in trouble because Lauren wants to really go to the police now. This is some sick joke. This is the time to tell me, you know? And she's still with the dumb, oh, what you mean? All right. Marissa denied everything. Well, at first. Eventually, she admitted to planning Lauren's demise with Eid. That same day, Lauren and Josh met up with Eid and Teresa again. This time, Eid stayed inside his yellow Corvette while Teresa spoke with Lauren and Josh by a hotel pool. In Josh's interviews with authorities, he explained how he kept checking nearby rooftops for snipers, which has got to be so scary. So scary. And this guy's in like a yellow Corvette. So weird. The whole thing is very scary. And these kids are young. They're in their early 20s, you know? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So during this meeting, Teresa told Lauren that she was the luckiest woman in America because normally we don't allow the mark a way out. So Josh and Lauren made it clear that they didn't want Marissa killed and that there was no way that they could pay Eid and Teresa the $20,000 that they allegedly kind of owed them. Just to keep Lauren alive. So Teresa responded, is that what you'll say when Lauren is buried next Tuesday? So literally, this is so funny. We're walking into the holiday and we meet by the pool. And next thing you know, this lady comes out dressed in all black. So she sits down, she has this file. She says, look, she shows us the email. His name was Tony Luciano. She shows us the receipt from PayPal. That's $18,000 that was spent. And I knew it was Marissa because she always wanted to do real estate. So her handle was something in real estate. So I kind of knew it was her. So she was just like, you know what? In order to fulfill this, we need the 18,000 or the 19,000 by this date. And then I told her no in the sense that we're not doing it. I wasn't scared of her. I wasn't expecting to meet a hitman's assistant. Where I came from in the Bronx, if you was going to shoot somebody, I've seen it done. You get shot. Like, I didn't think it was too much talking. So Teresa told them that she and Eid would be in touch, and then they left. So 
At this point, Lauren and Josh are panicked and they call the police. And once law enforcement was paying attention to this, they were taken seriously. And officials immediately had a suspect, an obvious one. Who could have orchestrated this other than our first degree, Josh? We get to the police station and here's the kicker. We tried to tell the story. They kind of laugh us off the station like, yeah, a hitman with an assistant shows a gun, was going to kill you, but doesn't. And now requesting money. You don't find it suspicious that you just met this guy, Josh. You know, they're looking at me now. So they had to, you know, question it because it sounds like a sick, you know, ploy, you know. Maybe he's just trying to just scare you and just get some money out. So keep in mind, like, it's her aspect as well. She still has her family, friends. Like, this could think of your homegirl going through this. You'll be looking like, girl, get away from him. Like, you didn't have these problems before you met him. You know, is this maybe, like, he's not a part of it? So I had to live with that, too. Luckily, Lauren trusted Josh, and she believed that he would never try to hurt or scam her. Next, the FBI got involved, specifically an FBI agent named Ingrid Sotelo. Her main suspect was always the 51-year-old Las Vegas poker dealer, Assam Ahmed Eid. That's when the uh, FBI came involved that actually got into it, which made it scary because they investigated me. And anything that happens to a female, they're going to go to the boyfriend. So in that case, though, they stopped me like as I was leaving the studio. They followed me, pulled me out, literally like on the side of the highway. The agent, she was just like, you know, I need to ask you some questions because this is a serious situation. And the last thing we know is that you dated this girl. So they literally was in my condo in Woodland Hills. We lived at the Met at the time, right off Canoga. And they were their FBI agents. And then after that, they were like, we know you've got nothing to do with it because they showed me all of these potential men and the hitman was one of them. But they was like, we know it's this guy right here because he's a poker dealer and he's, he's on a run from a specific type of hit in Ireland. Lauren worked with the FBI to take down Eid, and it was a really, really intense process. First, the FBI wiretapped Lauren's phone. Then, at the agent's instruction, Lauren called Eid several times. Lauren agreed to Eid's terms and requested more time to come up with the money. And then the FBI planned to capture Eid when Lauren dropped off that $20,000. And suddenly, the whole ordeal became very, very real to our first-degree Josh. I never thought that they was going to lock me up or anything like that. But when she showed me that, like, what she had on the dude, that was kind of like the press the button. Like, this is a kind of real situation. Like, Lauren could possibly lose her life. Like, he's kind of known for, like, taking out hits. And then he has his website where, like, teenage girls is hitting his website saying they want to have him hit girls and stuff. So the backside to it is that Lauren had to, like, you know, go through with it, catch him. They gave Lauren a wire. It just turned on like this is real, like someone can die. How it was supposed to go is that they gave Lauren the wire, the recording. She's supposed to go along with it, play at the bank. And it wasn't like the movies. No one came and put bulletproof vests on us and say, we're going to stand by your condo every night. It was nothing like that. We got this all connected. Then they packaged this to us. This is how we're going to finish this out. You, Lauren, you're going to go in there and finish the drop, this, this, that. We're going to make it at Bank of America. When we hop out free, so that whole plan, that whole psychology, Lauren is scared. You know, this is a 21-year-old girl, you know, and she's in real estate. You know, she's not like a part of this type of lifestyle. But only a few days after organizing the FBI sting operation, Eid completely disappeared. Agent Sotella wondered if Eid had gotten spooked or fled the States and fled to another country to hide. And after checking U.S. travel databases... 
the agent realized that she was in fact correct. Eid had left the U.S., but not because he was scared. He left because he had another hitman-for-hire job. This time, the job was in Western Ireland. So meanwhile, in the quaint riverbank town of Inus, Ireland, local investigators were looking into a really strange occurrence. It started with a cut-and-dry burglary case. Several laptops were stolen from the office of a wealthy property tycoon named P.J. Howard. But the next day, an unknown man contacted one of P.J.'s two sons, Robert. This man told Robert that his client wanted him, his brother, and his father dead. But the man continued, if the Howard family can pay him $100,000 euros, he wouldn't kill any of them. Sounds kind of familiar. Sounds very familiar. But you have to wonder, who wants P.J. Howard and his sons dead? Well, we have the answer to that. That would be 43-year-old Sharon Collins. And she's P.J. Howard's girlfriend, and she had been with him for eight years at that point. It turns out, from the beginning of their relationship, P.J. made one thing abundantly clear to Sharon. He would not marry her. P.J. was older, and when he died, he wanted to ensure that his family fortune went to his two sons, not to Sharon. And this made Sharon angry. And after years of living in the lap of luxury... She felt that she deserved to inherit her boyfriend's wealth, not his son's. So Sharon did what any reasonable person would do. You know, she put out a hit on her boyfriend and his two sons. Inspired by an Eagle song, Sharon created the alias Lying Eyes. And on August 2nd of 2006, Sharon Lying Eyes Collins contacted hitmanforhire.net. In pages and pages of emails, Sharon described her murder plot to Eid. First, she wanted Eid to poison P.J. Howard's two sons. Then, Sharon wanted Eid to stage P.J. Howard's suicide. She suggested throwing P.J. out of his 14th floor vacation penthouse in Spain, as if P.J., overwhelmed with the grief of losing his sons, had given up on life and jumped. In one of her emails, Sharon wrote, His boys are going to suffer. I wish it didn't have to be like this, but I know that if my husband was dead and they were still here, they'd screw me. Which is so insane. It's also insane because he's not your husband, lady. No. So like the delusion she she's expressing is so strange. And it's like they're going to screw you because they're inheriting the money from their father, which that they deserve, they rightfully that, deserve, and not he you. wants them to have. So anyways, Sharon agreed to pay Eid $130,000 euros and sent him a $15,000 euro deposit by mail. Sharon also purchased a semi-legal marriage certificate from Mexico without P.J. Howard's knowledge. I mean, I didn't know you could get a marriage certificate without the other partner being there, but apparently she figured out how to do it. So that way, when P.J. and his sons were dead, Sharon could say that she was P.J.'s wife and therefore the sole inheritor of the P.J. Howard family fortune. So Sharon needed the assassinations to be done by the end of September, but Eid couldn't get his visa in time. So Eid sent his friend, Ashraf, and his second wife, Teresa, to go handle the job. So Ashraf is the friend who he initially asked to kill Teresa's husband. Yeah. The whole thing, (laughs) I know there are a lot of names, but I know you guys are smart. You're all following the red string with this one. But the two botched the assassination attempt, and they returned to the U.S. without killing anyone. Sharon and Eid were both livid. And that's why on September 23rd, 2006, Eid abandoned his efforts to shake down Lauren for $20,000 and he flew to Ireland with Teresa. But when Eid tried to extort the money from the Howards, they immediately notified the Irish police known as the Gardee. Shortly after, the Gardee arrested Eid and Teresa and searched their hotel room. 
There, officials found P.J. Howard's stolen laptops, wigs, and masks. So, yeah, this is where they messed up. Ede went to the P.J. Howard's and Sons and was like, hey, someone's trying to kill you. Pay me off. And they're like, screw you, dude. And they called the cops immediately. So, meanwhile, back in the U.S., FBI agent Sotelo, the one who'd been on the case and helping Lauren and Josh out, compared her notes on Ede with the authorities in Ireland. No one really knew what was going on. I mean, I think based on all we've shared and how complex and layered this is, it's easy to understand why they were confused, right? Yeah. Was Ede a real assassin? Or was he a really diabolical scammer? So when federal agents raided Ede's Las Vegas home, they found all the answers they needed on Ede's family computer. On Ede's computer, law enforcement officials discovered Ede's numerous internet searches of how to assassinate a person. He had looked up instructions on crafting a DIY gun silencer from toilet parts. He tried to order cyanide online, and he'd done extensive research on ricin. And if you've seen Breaking Bad, you might already be familiar with this castor bean-derived poison. It's tasteless, it's odorless, and easily hidden in food and in drinks. And Eve used his new ricin knowledge to grow a castor bean plant in his backyard. Then he and Teresa boiled and ground the beans into a fine powder. They compacted the deadly ricin powder in Eid's contact lens case. Then they hid it in Eid's toiletry bag, and they brought it with him to Ireland. And that's how they transported it there without anyone knowing. So the plan was for Eid to put the poison in PJ Howard's son's drinks while they were at their favorite bar, which we know obviously didn't work out. So when Eid was arrested by Irish police, they actually took and searched his toiletry bag. But because Eid needed some medication in the bag, the authorities returned it to him without noticing the ricin powder. But I think the poison on his person tells us what we need to know about his intentions. He's not just a scammer. He's dangerous. Oh, absolutely. Totally. So when the FBI agent, Agent Sotelo, learned of Eid's ricin plot from Teresa, who had flipped on Eid in the hopes of getting a lighter sentence... Immediately, the agent told Irish authorities about the ricin in the contact lens case. And when the Irish police searched Ede's jail cell, they found Ede's contact lens case, but it was empty. Ede had clearly gotten rid of the evidence. But luckily, when the Irish police sent the contact lens case for testing, it returned positive for traces of ricin. Now investigators had enough incriminating evidence to implicate Assam Eid, Marissa Mark, and Sharon Collins. And it's just so crazy that these none of these people originally knew each other. Right. Sharon Collins and Marissa have no connection to one another other than that they both hired Eid to kill someone they wanted gone. So in 2008, both Sharon and Eid were tried in Ireland. And this case was a media sensation. Like, think Casey Anthony level obsession. You know, people were all about it. And when the FBI agent Sotelo flew in to testify, she was bombarded by paparazzi and journalists. And think about it. She was using the screen name Lying Eyes. They were calling it the Lying Eyes trial. It was just like so scandalous and salacious. So following the six-week-long court proceedings, Sharon was convicted of soliciting murder and was sentenced to six years. I'm telling you, Europe is the place to commit a crime if you're going to do it. It is so lenient, six years for conspiracy to commit murder. And she was really... It's insane. It's insane. And not only that, she was going to defraud this family of this inheritance too. So Ede was convicted of burglary and extortion and was also sentenced to just six years in prison. So they served that time. And in 2011, Ede was extradited back to LA 
where he faced numerous charges connected to the Marissa Mark and Lauren Royston case. Ultimately, he pled guilty to conspiracy relating to extortion. And although he was facing a possible 56 years in prison compared to the six they got in Europe, Eid was sentenced to just 33 months. Why are they getting... This guy must be charming. Why would you get such a low sentence? It's <laughs> unbelievable. What is going on? For all he's done? Unbelievable. Ugh. So in September of 2011, five years after she ordered the hit, Marissa Mark was arrested in her home in Jersey City, New Jersey. She pled guilty to numerous charges, including conspiracy and identity theft. And Marissa was sentenced to six years in prison, during which she lost her vision in her left eye due to an infection. After serving her time in the U.S., she was deported back to Trinidad and Tobago. And according to court documents, Marissa maintained that she thought the website was a joke. She said she purposefully used a fake PayPal account so that the transactions would fail and that Eid would just leave her alone. And at one point, Eid messaged her about the failed payments, writing, all your money reversed. Now what, you still want us to do this job or not? Just tell us yes or no. And then Marissa responded, no, not right now. Still, Marissa didn't tell anyone about the hit, not the police, not Josh, and certainly not the person who needed to know most, Lauren. So in exchange for working with the FBI, Eid's second wife, Teresa, received only eight months in prison, and Eid was released from prison himself on October 4th of 2013. And his whereabouts beyond that were unknown for a while, but we do know that Eid passed away very recently within the last couple months. And not in this country. He was back in Egypt. So our first degree, Josh and Lauren, following this whole traumatic ordeal, they remained together for three years after this crazy misadventure. After it unfolded, though, we stayed together three more years after that. You know, this was the beginning of our relationship. That trauma, that trauma relationship, that held us together really for that. I mean, he struggled so much that we're like, they had press knocking on the door, things like that, sliding stuff under the door. And it was just like, I was like the butt of the joke, not like a funny joke, but like, luckily, I just want to say we we're doing really well financially. So it was just like, we were just going on vacations, traveling, just like shopping our way out of the pain. Though we did really well after the condo, we moved out of that. We brought a home, Woodland Hills, right around the corner. Then after that, we took our breakup. She went on her way and dated. We remained at friends, though. I moved to Calabasas, and we remained at good friends after that. And Josh's feelings toward Marissa are really complicated. You know, what she did was terrible, but Josh knew Marissa before all of this happened. He saw how hard she worked to find success. And Josh can't help to feel bad that Marissa ruined her entire life over a heartbreak. I seen this girl struggle with study for tests. I was there. We ate campus food. I seen her be coherent. I seen her come from a good family, a, a mom that worked. And again, it was just crazy. She went home a fly. Like, love, I guess. But honestly, my whole thing was to kind of like, honestly, I had to keep in mind, express cautiously when they're interviewing me, like, I don't see no traces of this in Marissa, the person who put out the hit. Like, she never squashed a fly in front of me. She said she wanted her shot in the head. She was, like, graphic with it. She had details. This was a real payment she paid. I could see it was, like, fake something. I thought, like, all right, we break up, and this is no no joke. But I'm thinking, all right, we break up, send someone to go scare them. All right, I'm scared. All right, go. No, she really paid real money and risked her job and her life. I was kind of angry because it was just, like, you threw your life away. 
You know, like you grad. I watched this girl work, and not to be like again be on her side or whatever. Like, but I, I was there for both. I watched you work, graduate. I watched your mother's a hard worker for you to throw your life away this way. Sad, you know. Josh's experience with Marissa made him think about relationships differently. How one person's perspective can be vastly different than the other person's. It just let me know that at the end of the day, you got to be careful, like what you're doing with like people's feelings you know not to say like there's no excuse to like try to kill someone it just opened to my eyes like what you may not feel or downplay with someone someone may just be building their whole world around you and she should have i did it well i did well like when i met like I, i skyrocketed and i'm doing well but you know it just sucks that you know she it drove her to that far you still have to control yourself and your emotions As humans, we are all emotional beings. We feel all the time. We feel joy, we feel anger, happiness, sadness, love, and hate. Our emotions don't stop and they never will. What happens when we're given the ability to react swiftly to those emotions when we feel them? When we can want something irrational, hurtful, or murderous and get it right away. The idea that you can order someone's death online is pure lunacy. That you can end a person's life with a click. If ever humanity has crossed a line, this is it. Instead of letting time heal her broken heart, Marissa reacted. Really, this is a lesson in patience. Having the patience to know that whatever hell you're going through, it will pass. This emotion, this pain, and this suffering. But unfortunately, there's no shortcut through it. There's no instant fix. And it's not worth someone else's life. And it's not worth throwing your life away no matter how simple that solution may seem. Huge thank you to Josh for being our first degree for this episode. If you have a story to tell and you're out there, please email us hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram, join our Facebook group. We're talking true crime all of the time. Join our Patreon if you want a new episode every single week and check back tomorrow because we'll have a brand new episode of Killing Time right in your feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close, but not that close. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing and research by Andrea Marshbank. Sources for this episode are Court Documents, NPR, The Daily Mail, The Huffington Post, The New York Post, The Irish Examiner, The LA Times, The Guardian, The FBI, Lee Valley Live, and Abigail Riley's The Devil in the Red Dress. And as always, our first degree guest is always our largest source. <laughs>